Well, good morning. Oh, both campuses, let's do it again. Good morning. Man, it is so good to be with you as we get together to do one thing. We encourage each other to take next life-giving steps with Jesus so we can bless our neighbor. That is who we are about. So whether you're at our North Campus, our South Campus, you're part of our online family, it is a joy to share the morning with you. Now, I could list off the names of a handful of universities that everyone would know. And immediately you're probably thinking in Abilene, you're thinking of Abilene Christian, Hardin-Simmons, and McMurray, and Cisco. And we in the big country know those, but when I go to places like Ohio, South Carolina, other places, amazingly, they don't know the names of those universities. But there are some universities that you can name their name that no matter where you are in the nation, almost everybody knows their name. It's interesting how a lot of these universities started. One of them started 150 years before the United States of America in 1636. They started with this mission statement. Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the end of his life. So the purpose of his life, the purpose of his studies is to know God in Jesus Christ, who is eternal life. And therefore to lay Christ in the bottom as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. If you agree with that, say amen. That is an incredible statement. Believe it or not, it was the founding of a place by the name of Harvard. And some of you are going, that don't sound like Harvard. And you would be exactly right. Because Harvard, let's be honest, today, 375 years later or so, however long it is, has drifted a great distance from where they founded. But it's not just old institutions of of education that struggle with wandering from their foundational purposes. I will tell you, individual Christians, individual churches also wrestle wandering, wandering from the core reasons we exist. We see it in all the important arenas of our lives. We all battle it. We, we work diligently to try to help marriages in our, in our community, not only in our church, but in our region. And I can't tell you how often people will tell me, hey, our marriage started off great, it was awesome, and then, I don't know, Life happened. This started happening, and this started happening, this started happening, and there's this common phrase, and it's like we drifted apart. Thought leaders of today have a term to describe this that happened to Harvard, happens to marriages, happens to the most important things in our life. It's called mission drift. Mission drift is when a myriad of good things begins to crowd out that which is primary and foundational. Before long, we've drifted a long way from that which is foundational in our lives. We all wrestle with it to some level. It is probably because of this tendency towards mission drift in all the important areas of our life that a statement has become popular in the United States of America. It's actually a great statement. It says, the main thing, is to keep the main thing the main thing. This isn't new. Go all the way back to the days of the Bible. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is talking to seven incredible churches. The first one he talks to is a great group of people in a town by the name of Ephesus. And he says to them, hey, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. Now, come on, how many of you want Jesus to say that about you? I mean, we, it's all we want. This isn't just a light um, word of encouragement. This is strong. Ephesus did not have a lot of Jesus followers. Like you pick a city in the United States of America that you think, man, I bet they don't have a lot of Jesus followers. Not a lot of churches, not near as impacted by Christianity today as say Abilene or someplace like that. You pick any of those cities anywhere 
And you compare it to Ephesus, and I promise you that city in the United States of America has a lot more followers of Jesus in it than did the city of Ephesus. They were a minority among minorities, yet they were standing strong. They were persevering, but Jesus continues. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles and are not. You have found them to be false. You have persevered and endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. I mean, I read these three verses and I compare them to me and I go, man, I got a long way to go. I don't seem to have everything they have. What Jesus describes are men and women who are strong in the Lord. So the next words Jesus shares with them comes as a bit of a shock, at least they do to me. Yet, he says, I have this against you. You have forsaken your first love. In the midst of all the good things they were doing, described in the three verses below, they had begun to wonder a bit from that which is foundational and important. Mission drift. Now, some of you, uh, like I, are interested in personality types, and you've done all these things, and the Enneagram's the end thing right now. I love those because it helps me understand people. I discovered that in the Enneagram, I'm a one. I tend towards perfectionism. And because I tend towards perfectionism, one of the weaknesses of perfectionism, anytime you hear criticism, you take it very personally. You hear it to be loud. You hear it to be uh, angry and things such as that. So when I read this verse, that's what I initially hear. I hear Jesus like shouting at them, getting mad and getting angry. But I think my initial hearing is wrong. I don't think Jesus has a tone of anger. I don't think he has a tone of harshness. I think we should hear love and concerns. See, Jesus knows that when mission drift begins, you just get slightly off. It's not that big a deal. You can get back to the main thing. But the further you walk away, a little drifting, the further and further you go, the more you are away from the main thing. It's like, have, it's like a golf shot. I'm not a golfer. Some of you play golf. I don't know how many golfers actually exist, but we hack at it and do stuff. And I learned the little bit I did with golf if you line your feet up wrong, just a little bit, and you hit the ball straight, if you hit the ball 200 yards, that ball ends up a long way away from where you want it to be. It just begins to drift off at an angle. The further it goes, the greater the distance between where you want it to be. That is the idea of mission drift. And that's why Jesus is concerned, not just for the church in Ephesus, but he's concerned for us. See, the main thing is to keep the main thing the what? And we have to know that if the main thing is to keep the main thing, then we have to battle to make sure we do just that. When we don't keep the main thing the main thing, we miss out on so much that God has for us, which is why he's concerned. And that should have you asking a question, well, what's the main thing in Christianity? And the natural response, response, at least after we read what Jesus said to the church of Ephesus, is the main thing is to love Jesus. And that would be absolutely correct. But I think it's incomplete if we're not careful. We have to listen to how Jesus describes what it means to love him. During Jesus' earthly time, during his earthly ministry, he had a group of religious leaders he was in conversation with. One of the Pharisees, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? May I rephrase that? Jesus, what's the main thing? Jesus responded, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Everything that God has revealed can really be summarized in love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. In essence, that is the main thing. Love God with all you have. Throughout the centuries, we've actually given a title to these verses It's called the great commandment. Say great commandment. Hear that. 
the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all you have. But did you notice, Jesus was asked by the religious leader, what is the greatest commandment, singular? Jesus answered with plural, two commands. Love the Lord your God, the second is tied to it, love your neighbor as yourself. See, Jesus is clear, we can't just love God and forget people. That's what we sometimes wanna do, it's just me and God, we'll take care of things, forget about everybody else, you can't do it. Loving our neighbor is part of loving God. And the way we love our neighbor is actually by fulfilling what has been said through the centuries is the Great Commission. So I would say it to you this way. You want to know what the main thing is? The main thing in following Jesus is living out the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. You get these two things deep inside of you, and you have a chance to stay right on track. And we're always coming back to those things. Now, here's what's interesting and such. Um, the great, command, the great Commission is found in a text. You're saying, I, I don't, I'm not sure I know what the Great Commission is. Do you know a lot of people know what the Great Commission says? There is a reality in church-going life. A survey was done a couple of years ago about the Great Commission. People who attended church regularly, 51% of churchgoers said, I'd never heard of the Great Commission, have no idea what it is. 25% says, hey, the phrase rings a bell, but I don't know what it is. 17% less than one in five said they knew what the Great Commission was. Now catch that, if I'm right, the main thing is the Great Commandment and the Great Commission, but only one in five people know what the Great Commission really is, we're in a trouble place. And some of you right now are kind of holding your head down saying, hey, I'm one, kind of one of those guys who don't know what the Great Commission is, that's all right. That's why we're here today. I'm just going to tell you right now, you want to know what it is. It's something that's powerful for you. So I want you to get your Bible so you can see it. So I want everyone to reach down, do this radical things, and get your Bible. Get your phone out. Don't get distracted on your phone. Don't look at Twitter. Don't look at Instagram, Facebook, anything like that. Go straight to your Bible. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Right to your Bible, Okay. Go there, turn to the 28th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. If you don't have a Bible, underneath your chair, the chair in front of you is a black colored Bible at both our North and our South Campus, one on page 835 in that Bible. If you don't own a Bible, you want a Bible, you take that Bible with you, it's our gift. If you just wanna borrow that Bible, you turn to page 835. And our online family, if you are at beltway.org, best way to engage online, because you can interact, do things there. There's a Bible icon, click on it there, go to Matthew 28. YouTube, Facebook, you guys push pause. Grab your Bibles, open it up, push play, we will be right here. At the end of the chapter, which is really the end of Matthew's gospel, it says in verse 16, now the 11 disciples, remember there were 12, one of them betrayed Jesus, and because of his grief of the betrayal committed suicide, the 11 disciples were with Jesus. They went to the Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. I love this verse because this is me. I love Jesus. I love who he is. I love to worship, but I have to confess there are some doubts that exist inside of me. And I know it's true of all of us. I appreciate the honesty of scripture, but I had something hit me this week. When they doubted, I don't think they doubted that Jesus was raised from the dead. My reasoning is pretty simple. They're looking at him. I mean, they're like seeing him mano a mano, right? They can touch him, they're hugging him, they're laughing with him, they're eating with him, they're doing all this stuff with him. They had no doubts he was alive, but yet they doubted. What did they doubt? See, I challenge that what they doubted was his plan, his strategy for loving the world and bringing the world to himself. 
Because Jesus says in verse 18, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He's overcome death, hell, and the grave. He's walking in the place he's supposed to walk. Then he looks at them and really looks at us and says, go therefore, based on the authority I have, I want you to go into all the nations of the earth, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, know this, I will be with you always. Now look carefully at those verses. Do you notice what Jesus' plan for bringing the world to himself is? You. Me. Us. We are the plan, which has each one of us doubting, just like the 11 did that day, right? See, reality was Jesus spent 40 days with the disciples after he was resurrection, talking to them about the kingdom of God. But really, he kept saying again and again one thing, I'm about to leave. I'm going to go to the Father. When I go to the Father, the Father's going to release his spirit. His spirit's going to be in you, and his spirit is going to be with you. And you're going to go, and you're going to help people you have never heard of to have hope and abundant life as they become a follower of mine through you. And I'm sure the original 11 were thinking just what we were thinking, Bad plan, Jesus. Do you know us? Hey, you've been around us for like three years now. You see how weak we are. You see how many mistakes we make. We fail. We fall. We have all these struggles. Let me give you an alternate plan. The better plan, Jesus, would be for you to stay right here. You set up your throne, let's say Jerusalem, and you do your thing from there. But that's not what Jesus does, is it? Question. When we doubt that Jesus' plan is the best plan, who do you think is wrong? Here is what Jesus does. Jesus gives us the privilege of being part of his work in the world, his work of seeking and saving those who are lost. See, I will be really honest with you. I'm just like the 11 on that day on the mountain in the Galilee. I don't know that I doubt Christ as much as I doubt Christ using me to do his work. And I bet all of you are there with me. Listen to me. You got to flip the script. This doubt of Christ doing us to use his work is a lie. Jesus said, I have appointed you to go and bear much fruit. If you abide in me and I abide with you, you will bear much fruit. You are destined to bear fruit in Jesus Christ. That is the truth. The book of Colossians actually talks about Christ in us is the hope of glory. Do you feel weak? Good. Because Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for your weakness. I show, you so, I show myself strong in your weakness. So the truth is, Christ so wants to do his work that he wants to use our weakness to overcome the evil one and to show how powerful he is by using you and I. See, that is the truth for you and I. We have got to go on to it. See, I can testify to you guys. I understand the doubt that we have. I'm still flipping the script, but I can tell you this. After four decades of flipping the script, I doubt less than I have ever doubted before because I've seen him use me. And I know me, and I know how messed up I am, and I know how many struggles I have, and I know how many problems I have, and I've seen him do some work in me, and I know it's his power and in his grace. And beyond that, for two and a half decades now, I've watched him use us. I know you, and you just as messed up as I am. Don't look all spiritual at me like you have no idea what I'm talking about. You are there with me, and yet I've seen God do a work through you. That was his promise to us as a people. I came to Beltway Park in spring of 1998. I was 31 years old, 
and I'd wanted to be a senior pastor since I was 15. I had chased it, I had run after it. But some of you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you dream about for something so long, it's like I dream of catching a tiger by its tail. And then one day you catch the tiger. And you know what? Now you got a tiger. And that's kind of what I felt like. It's like, man, I'm finally doing what I wanted to do. And I was scared to death of doing it because I knew deep down I didn't know how to do it. I'd come from a larger church in Lubbock in the center of town. It was bustling with energy. I showed up here April 1, 1998, and we were out here in the boondocks. There was a handful of, of us that went to church. No one knew the name of the church. No one knew where it was. You know, no, most people didn't even know where Wiley Junior High was. We're saying we're across the street from Wiley Junior High. Where's that? Just keep going south. That's where we were at the time. I was having these struggles and I was having these doubts. Third day in. Third day I was doubting whether we had really heard God. God, are you sure we're supposed to do this? I step outside my office. My office was in what we call the C building at the South Campus, the chapel building. Nothing else existed in the North Campus. Most of the South Campus didn't exist at the time. I go out. It's getting close to lunchtime. I think I'm going to go home for lunch, grab something, and I happen to look out to the south door, and right against the window of the south door is a cow with its nose smashed right up against our door. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me, God. Because I know what's going to happen. I'm going to go talk to one of our elders who was helping work out when he was in between jobs and helping out stuff. And I was going to ask him, hey, what, what do we do about the cows? And I know what he's going to say. He's going to go say, well, we're going to be neighbors and go move our cows. And sure enough, I came from this bustling big church with hundreds of employees and a school and all that. And I'm walking outside. I'm about to shoe cows next door to the neighbor. And I'm shooing cows. It took us an hour to shoe all those cows. The whole time, I am mumbling and complaining. But it was not a prayer language. I'm telling you that. It was just moaning, whining, and doing my thing. And so we finally get the cows moved over. And I tell Ray, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang out here for a little while. And I'm going to pray. And what I meant by pray was whine is what I meant. And I was like, God of all the places you could have sent me. I said, nobody knows where this town is. And not only does nobody know where this town is, nobody in this town knows where this church is. Dude, look around. There's cows all around us here. That's all we got. We got fields, cows, and a school. That's all we've got around here. And I am doing that thing, but I promise you, as sure of the world, I heard the Lord speak. And I had enough grace to believe more than I doubted, just enough. And I heard the Lord say, if you will trust me, I'll use this no-name church sitting between three cow pastures on the edge of a no-name city of the world to affect the world for eternity. And I've watched him do it. Listen to me. I've watched him do it for 23 years. And he's not finished. And some of you have been around saying, you tell this story a lot. I do. You know what? I'm going to keep telling it. You want to know why? I don't ever want to drift from this. This is who we are. We are going to go and we are going to proclaim the greatness of God. We are going to love him more and more with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we're going to help as many people as possible know the hope and the life and the abundance they can have through the name of Jesus Christ and embracing him. See, the main thing for individuals following Jesus, the main thing for the church is to love God with everything that we have, and it's the great commission. It is to tell other people about Jesus. That's why we say Beltway Park is a group of people who are just helping each other take our next steps with Jesus so that we can bless our neighbors. And according to Jesus in this text, our neighbors are not just the people who live next door to us in our neighborhood. It's not even the conglomeration of people who are in our neighborhood. It's not even just the big country. According to verse 18 of the text, look at it. Our neighbors are the nation's of the earth. 
Our elders early on, we wanted to be a people centered around the great commandment and the great commission. We wanted to keep the main thing the main thing. And so we started asking, how, how do we do that? One of the things we said was we got to give some money to it. The scripture actually says where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Most of us think when my heart goes somewhere, I put my treasure there. But actually our heart follows our treasure. You can invest in something where you want our heart to be. We want to love God. We want to love the nations of the earth. So we're going to invest our money there. And so we were like broke. I want you to hear that. Broke. And then we're starting to talk about giving money away. And inside, I'm struggling. Outside, I'm trying to walk in faith. But inside, I'm going, okay, all you guys like have other jobs. I work here, and we need some money to, like, feed my family and things like that. And we're wrestling through this, and we decide that year that we're going to dedicate 10% of our income to missions and outreach. And just to try to make sure we keep the main thing the main thing, we're going to pray every year about adding a percent. Every year we've added a percent. Every year it's been hard. Every year it's been tight. But in 2021, this year, our elders dedicated 33% of everything that comes into our general offerings. 33 cents on every dollar it comes in goes to missions and outreach. It's missions for the nations of the earth to bless them. It is outreach to bless the people in our community. That's how we do what we do. This money supports over 92 ministry partners in our city and around the world. It funds all the ways we seek to show the love of Jesus, our boots on the ground, our auto ministry, our foster care ministry, our benevolence. I could just keep naming thing after thing that we're doing. Just to tell you the scope of what the Lord's allowed to happen. In 2020, so not this year, 2020. 2021 is not finished yet. I don't know if y'all have noticed that yet. In 2020, this is what our church gave. To missions and outreach out of our budget, $3.1 million. Now get that. I'm going I'm to have you clap in a minute but because it gets better. In addition to that, people like yourself said, hey, I want to be part of it. So in addition to what we generally give, people started giving extra to our mission trips, to specific ministry partners, et cetera. Our people gave almost $1.4 million in addition to the $3.1 million, which means together we gave $4.467 million to missions and outreach in the year 2020. That deserves a clap and a shout to God. Come on. But hear me, this is nothing if it translates not into lives. Every number has a name. Every dollar has a name that we want to tie to it somehow. A name we might not know until heaven. We want this number, God, to use something so temporal. I'm not going to say unimportant, but it is temporal. I don't think there's a currency system in heaven. So it's temporal. I want to take something temporal and use it for the sake of that which is eternal. I could tell you hundreds of stories. Let me tell you one you've not heard yet. When Jesus said in verse 18 to go take the gospel into all nations, that word nations in verse 18 of our text isn't what we normally mean by nations. We think of geographic regions like the United States of America, Iran, Iraq, Argentina. We think of one of the 260-ish established nations on planet earth right now, but that's not what that word means. That word actually means people groups. There are thousands of distinct ethnic groups, linguistic groups in the world, and believe it or not, there are several hundred in our world that have never heard the name of Jesus. So let that sink in for a minute. In the world of all this information, all this technology, all this kind of stuff, there are several hundred people groups that have never heard the name of Jesus. They've never had a chance to know of the hope that they can have 
after this life and during this life through the name of Jesus. Well, God gave one of our ministry partners a strategy. And what they said was, God is bringing people to himself throughout these regions where the gospel hasn't been heard. And even though the gospel's never been heard in this people, we have a people that are really close to this people in likeness. They are cousin cultures. They are what's called a near culture people. And we have Jesus followers in this near culture who God is stirring to go to places where the gospel has never been heard. And they wanna share Jesus with the people who have never heard it. And all they need you guys to do is help them. And so what we will do is we'll take a team of two or three families, nothing big. We will train them up in the ways of the gospel. They will go in, they will establish businesses, micro businesses that will support them, but also give them inroads into the community because it looks odd in those cultures if you just show up and you're not doing a business and you're telling people about Jesus. They'll think that's weird. But if you just start doing business and you move in there, it's great, then they need some tools. And so we translate certain portions of the Bible into the heart language of that people. We translate certain videos. We translate certain tools that we give them, and what they need us to do is just provide the finances and the resources to enable these teams to go in. And we said, we want to be part of that. I looked at the guy who said, I said, so you're saying this little church out here in Abilene, let me remind you where Abilene, because no one knows where it is, and I tell them where Abilene is again. We get to be a part of taking the gospel here. He goes, yeah, so we've adopted six people groups so far. Six of them. Now, of these six people groups, let me tell you, that six people groups represents 1,068,000 people who have never heard Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? That is eight Abilenes. No one has ever heard the name of Jesus. And we have a chance to take Jesus there. You say, where are these people? I can't tell you. If I told you, I'd have to kill you. Okay, seriously, no, well, I'm not serious about killing you. I am serious that the places where these are happening uh, are extremely difficult. Everything we're doing is underground. It's not, there's no church services like this one. No one's broadcasting anything on the internet. Nothing like that is happening and such. But we have sent six teams among six nations of the earth Here's what's happened so far. Three facts thing you celebrate. One, of that people, already almost 37,000 people have heard the gospel of Jesus. Almost 11,000 of them have said yes to Jesus Christ already in these six nation groups. And there are 715 underground house churches that are discipling these people. Somebody give praise to God. And he did that with our money. He took us, a no-name church, sitting between now three cow pastures in two locations in Abilene on the edges of the no-name city of the earth, and he's doing a work in the world. But I want you to hear, it's not just in other parts of the world he's doing it, because people ask me all the time, why aren't we just going to the other places of the earth? We need to take care of our own in the big country. My answer is, let's do both. Let's do it all. We've got a big God who will enable us to do big things. We want it all. So we're going to love the big country. We're going to love the nations of the earth. So our elders, a couple of years ago, felt like the Lord wanted to stir us to take some other steps, things he wanted to accomplish before the year 2030. We call it, it's a very creative title, our 2030 vision. You like that? Um, and so what we said is we're going to look at the needs of our community, and we want to join in with the body of Christ to meet needs in our community. One of the big needs is daycare, so we're going to open safe Christ-centered daycares that provide excellent service, teach people about Jesus. Believe it or not, there are a number of kids, preschool kids, that are staying home right now while their parents work. 
They're finding them all the time that four and five-year-olds are staying at home. No four-year-old should be left by themselves during the day. If we can help resolve that, we are going to go in, we're going to do that, and we're going to tell kids about Jesus. It was a people who picked me up on a church bus that told me about Jesus. It changed the destiny of my family. There are destinies going to be changed here. There are going to be families whose generations beyond are going to be changed because we're willing to meet them right where they are and love them. Not only will we love them, they will know about Jesus. We are going to work to ensure loving, stable homes for every kid who needs it by partnering with and equipping other local churches to meet every foster care need. It is time we resolve the foster care crisis in our region. And what that means is we are going to raise up families and we're going to support those families in the community where kids need a family. If a kid is being pulled into the foster system, it means they're in a difficult situation, we want them to go into a Christ-filled, spirit-empowered home in their community. I want a Haskell kid to stay in Haskell. I want a Sweetwater kid to stay in Sweetwater. I want a Merkel kid to stay in Merkel. I want Abilene kids to stay in Abilene. And I discovered that in all those places, you know what exists? church why can't we the church just raise up a few families in all those places and of all the kids we need we need about 800 families there are more churches than that in the big country we can do it we just have this dream that we can empower the church it won't be all beltway we're just going to do it as the church and we're going to resolve the foster care crisis because you know what happens if you keep a kid in their town the likelihood of restoration with their biological parents is far higher but what would happen if there's a spirit-filled family working with their kid and all of a sudden now they're working with their parents and they're taking that kid to church and those parents show up at that church and they find out about Jesus what's going to restore families and change families other than the power of the name of Jesus but we put them in places where they see the power of Jesus the power of, we have the best opportunity for restoration that is our dream that God would do such a thing, and might he do it by 2030. In addition to that, we are going to provide Christ-centered counseling services for children and teens. There's a gap in our community for children and teenage counseling. It's hard to grow up. Almost every foster kid that comes in the system has to have counseling, but they can't get counseling right now because there's not enough. We're going to raise up counselors. We're going to raise up prayer partners. We're going to raise up whoever to meet that need. We're going to fill the gap, and we're going to tell them about Jesus the whole way. And give them opportunity to know of the love of Jesus. But that's not all. Listen to me. Listen to what the Lord's doing. We are also going to expand our kingdom impact because we're going to raise up future pastors and leaders. We're starting a ministry school. So we actually, it's called Beltway School of Ministry. Again, we're real creative with our titles, aren't we? We're actually affiliated with um, a group called Manna University. You can look it up. We're an affiliate of Manna University. We offer undergraduate, graduate, and doctoral programs in vocational ministry. We're going to start up our first classes, we hope, in January, partnering with them as an online school. And we are going to redig the wells of our community. Abilene was destined to raise up pastors and church leaders to go into the nations of the earth to make a difference. We're going to redig that well and see that happen. At the same time, we're going to plan or support the development of five gospel-centered, spirit-filled, presence-based churches in the big country and beyond. We're already starting with two already. We have a church that just launched with one of our guys in San Diego, California. We have another group we've adopted in Miami, Florida. Now, it was not purposeful. I think it was just the grace of God on me that these places are where we're starting churches and I must go visit them often. <laughs> now, 
these church places, believe it or not, like the community in San Diego they're a part of, there's not one evangelical church in this community um, where they're going to plant. We're going to places where there's not many churches. We're going to continue to do that. We're working with others. I think we'll be far beyond five by the year 2030. And this is a big one. We want to spread the good news of Jesus by seeing 4,000 people take their first step with Jesus and publicly acknowledge him through baptism over the next two years. This will take a miracle. All of it's a miracle. This is the big one. I'll be a little raw with you. Over the past two years, I've done the hardest funerals I've ever done. The man who ran the cows off with me that first week who poured so much into this church passed away. Another fellow elder that poured so much in passed away. I'm just thinking of names of men and women who are pillars of this church for so, so many years and they died during this two-year season. Some of COVID, some of other things and I tell you, I miss them so much. But you know what I do know? They were ready to die. And it hit me not too long ago. That's part of what we do. We get people ready to die. Actually, it's, it's more than that. We get people ready to stand before God. The scripture says it is destined for every human to die once and then to face judgment. And we exist so that every human being will have the opportunity not to stand before judgment of God alone. When my friends died, they didn't stand before God alone. Jesus stood with them. I want Jesus to stand with you. He's going to stand with me. That is why we exist. We want people to have abundant life now, but the bulk of our abundant life comes in eternity. Hear me, there is no greater privilege than knowing someone dies that they're ready to meet Jesus because they said yes to be his follower. And there's no greater significance to our lives than when we're a part of it. We get to be a piece of it. It is why we talk ad nauseum about living to bless. Bless for us is not the idea of just being nice people. It is a strategy of what we all can do in our day-to-day -day life. Listen to me. You are not here by accident. You do not exist in our community by accident. You do not exist on planet Earth at this time for an accident. Despite what non-theistic evolution tells you, you are not a statistical improbability who's here to exist for just a season, surviving. We are here with a purpose from the Almighty. God destined us for this time on planet Earth. We were created by God. We were created for God. God appoints the times and dates for all of mankind to live, Acts 17 says. You are appointed for this season to do his bidding, to do his work. We can all be a part of this, man. We can bless. When we say bless, we mean just begin with prayer. Wherever you go, wherever God has you assigned, your job, your school, wherever, pray for the people there, especially those that don't know Jesus. Listen to them. We don't have to debate them all the time. Just show people you care by listening to them. You can eat with them. You can drink with them. It's amazing. If you put a cup of coffee between two humans, how much more conversation they will have. It's like there's this magic thing in coffee or food or drink of some sort that people just begin to talk. Engage in that. Eat with them. And then God's going to give you an opportunity to serve when he does, whether it's a small thing or a large thing. The Spirit of God will just give you promptings of serving. Serve. And then someplace you're going to have a chance to share your story. This was who I was before Jesus. This is what Jesus did in my life. This is who I am now. And these are some things Jesus has done in my life over the course of years. And guess what? 
You don't have to argue with them. You don't have to convince them. See, I know as soon as we say that, you know what we begin to do? We begin to doubt. It's time to flip the script. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Christ can take the weakness of these things and do a powerful work in the lives of people. Here's how Billy Graham used to say it. He used to say, it's not my job to get people to Jesus. He said, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, God's job to judge, it's just my job to love. By God's grace, I can love. By God's grace, I can do that part. I can bless. And so that's why we have these opportunities. You've heard about the Halloween outreach. The Halloween outreach is easy. We're just going to give you a card. All you got to do is hand out the card. And if people tell them there's a QR code there, if you don't know what a QR code is, ask your grandkids. Okay? And go to the QR code, and it's going to bring stuff up. They fill it out. What we're going to do is we're just going to have drawings where we bless people financially. We're going to pay for groceries. We're going to pay for mortgage payments. We're going to do this and that. And if people say, I'm, I've already got plenty of that, then they can take that and give it to somebody who needs it. And so we're just going to give them an opportunity. You're going to have a chance to say we love our city in that way. In December, we're going to have a couple of great invite opportunities you can be a part of. I want you to know, I do this message because I want you to know that as a group of elders, we are committed as much as we can to keep the main thing the main thing. We want to help people love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. But we are committed to the Great Commission. I want it to be hard to go to hell at Abilene. I want everybody to have to come through us. And through the church of Jesus, we live to empower the church of Jesus. Every church in this city is on our team. Amen? They are our brothers and sisters. I used to ask it all the time. I don't do it as much. But I will ask you, how many churches are there in Abilene? One church. We're all on the same team. And I just want as many churches to be empowered to live out the gospel of Jesus as possible. That is who we are. I am telling you. God wants to do. So our elders get together and pray. We pray about 47 weeks out of the year on Monday mornings early. Our prayer is simple. It all summarizes in, God, give us power to keep the main thing the main thing. Help us to love you. Help our church to love you. And help us fulfill the Great Commission. Give us power to do that. That is my prayer, not just for us as a church. That's my prayer for me. And it's my challenge for you. Let's be a people who keep the main thing the main thing because as that happens, we're going to have more and more of the abundant life of Jesus in our lives. So here's what I want us to do before we go. Let's bow our heads, both campuses. Some of you are clock watchers, and you know you're running up on the edge, big boy. I get it. But it was worth it. Here's all I'm going to ask you to do. We're going to move quick here, so pay attention. You go in that posture of prayer, and you ask yourself honestly, do I really want to make sure more than ever that I love God? I I don't want you making this up. I don't want you to um, do the church thing. But if you would say to God, God, I want to keep the main thing the main thing. Because if you say yes to him, he's probably going to show you ways you need to get back on track. That's okay. It's an act of grace on his part. But if you would say to God right now, I really do want to more than ever. I want to love you with my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I need grace from you, God, to do that. Put your hand up right now and say, God, I want to fulfill the great commandment. Put it up. I'm not looking. doesn't matter who else is around. You say, God, that's what I want to do. Put your hands down. Now, as you raise your hand, you can't do number one without number two. We can't love God and not love people. It's, it's outside the scope of God. And so we have to ask God for the grace to live out the great commission. 
to have his heart for the nations of the earth, but also for the people of our, our community, just to love them as he loves them, to love our neighbors as ourselves, especially to go and make disciples. So if you would also say to God, God, I not only want to live out the great commandment, I want to live out the great commission. Would you give me power and grace to do that more than I ever have? Put your hand up right now and say, God, let us live out the great commission. Yeah, you can put your hands down. Father, thank you that you have loved us. Thank you, Father, for your mercy and your grace. Thank you that there have been people who lived this out with us. Now give us grace. We want to love you, oh God, with all our heart, soul, and mind. We want to love our neighbor as ourselves. Give us grace to do that. Give us your mercy and give us your power, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.